Last week, Kanye West made headlines first for posting a photo of himself in a Make America Great Again cap. Then, after much backlash and an effort to clarify his support for the current president and his freedom of thought, West went on TMZ and suggested that 400 years of slavery sounded like a choice to him. While West has proven that he's no stranger to controversy, this was perhaps his most horrifying yet rant to date. Like many of you, I was appalled that West would make such an insensitive, foolhardy, and verifiably false remark. From the earliest days of the slave trade, enslaved Africans rose up to resist their oppressors and to fight for their freedom. Men and women threw themselves overboard on slave ships rather than endure the horrors of the Middle Passage. Thousands of enslaved people around the nation revolted in quest for freedom. An estimated 100,000 slaves escaped plantation life in the South and made their way north on the Underground Railroad. When presented with the horrors of slavery, our forebears did make a choice, but it was not a choice to remain enslaved. They chose to rise up and fight for their freedom. They chose to reject the lie that they were less than human, and they chose to see themselves as made in the image of God. And I can't help but think that scriptures like today's reading from Ephesians undergirded my ancestors' resistance and their spirit of rebellion. I imagine that they were strengthened by hearing of the immeasurable greatness of God's power. I guess that they found hope in the knowledge that Christ, the Christ who came to bring good news to the poor, and to set the captive free, that same Christ set far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And those words helped them believe that they could rise above their circumstances. They could rise above the auction block, rise above the big house, rise above the whipping post. And on this Ascension Sunday, I want to stand here just for a few minutes and to remind you that Jesus is still on high. Our readings from Acts and Luke tell us that after Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, that after Jesus was resurrected with all power in his hands, that after Jesus performed post-resurrection miracles, that Jesus was carried up into heaven. And the author of Ephesians reminds us later in chapter 2 that we have been raised with Christ and share in his heavenly status. In other words, because Jesus went higher, we can go higher too. Because Jesus rose up, we can rise up too. You can rise above the pain in your life. You can rise above the trauma of your childhood. Many of us are celebrating our mother's love today, but maybe there's someone carrying the hurt of a mother's rejection. You can rise up above that hurt. Maybe someone feels helpless in a world that is so full of injustice. You can rise above that pain. We can share in the promise that we have received through Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? 
How do we who are limited to these earthly finite bodies ascend into heavenly places? What does it mean for us today to rise up? Well, my sisters and my brothers, the writer of Ephesians offers us guidance on how we can be raised with Christ, not just in the by and by, but how we can be raised with him here and now. And if we are going to rise up, if we are going to live and receive what is in the heavenly realm, first our lives must be grounded in prayer. The writer, who's noted as Paul or is one of his disciples, says that I do not stop praying for you. That's what the writer tells this church, that I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have heard of the love that exists between you, and I do not stop giving thanks for you. But not only does the writer give thanks for this church, the writer goes on to continue to pray on their behalf. Now, I know that prayer is not a popular subject these days. It's not something we like to talk about very much. It's something that if we do, we don't necessarily tell our friends about. Sometimes we feel awkward telling somebody or asking somebody, please pray for me. Even if it's somebody that we sit to in church, we feel like prayer is so intimate and prayer is so personal that we dare not intrude on another person's prayer life. But I want to ask you today, how is your prayer life? I ask you this not so that you would feel guilty or need to lie to me as your minister, but if I can't ask you, then who can? How is your prayer life? I'm not suggesting that you're not doing enough. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I don't know about your connection to the Creator, but what I do know is that we cannot make it in this world without prayer. We need prayer to fortify us for the challenges of life's journey. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, took time away from the crowds over and over again to pray. He took time to build himself up for the challenges that were lying ahead. Now, I want to pause here and confess something to you that you may or may not know about me. I am addicted to my cell phone. I am one of those people that if I leave the house in the morning and I leave my phone at home, I am going home to go get it. I don't care if I'm supposed to be somewhere in 10 minutes and I only have five minutes to travel, I'm going back home in 15 minutes to get my cell phone. And I have a charger at my desk upstairs. I have about three chargers around my apartment at home and I have a charger that I keep in my purse. Because I can't run the risk of the power going out in my cell phone. Yesterday I was at piano lessons with my kids and I had my backpack that didn't have a charger and my cell phone died. <laughs> I did not know what I was going to do. And I was only in the seventh floor of my apartment building. I use it for everything every day on the way to work. I check Google Maps to see what's the fastest route. Should we take the one train to 59th Street or the Crosstown bus at 97th? How are we getting to where we have to go? And I keep the chargers with me because I know that without a proper charge, the phone will not make it all day. Not with the kind of use that I use it for. We have games and stories and 
books and weather and apps for this and that. It's important to me. It's something that I make a priority. And just like I recognize the need to recharge my cell phone batteries, prayer is the way that we recharge ourselves in our own lives. And something that I just found out a few days ago is that the bigger your charger, the faster your phone will charge. <laughs> How did I not know that? The same is true for prayer. The greater our prayer life, the faster we can be recharged and restored. Now, I'm not here to suggest to you that if you have a robust and healthy prayer life, that life is going to be easy. Prayer did not keep Jesus off of the cross. Prayer does not mean that every struggle you come against will immediately disappear. Prayer does not mean that your body will necessarily be healed or that your child will change their behavior or that your boss will treat you differently. Prayer does not always change what's going on on the outside, but prayer can change what's going on on the inside of us. Prayer can expand our capacity to deal with the trials that life sends our way. Your boss might still be a jerk, but prayer will keep you from walking in tomorrow and quitting your job. Your ex might still treat you crazy, but prayer will keep you from cursing him or her out every time you drop off the kids. Your finances might still be tight, but prayer can keep you from pacing the floor all night long trying to figure out what you're going to do. Prayer changes things, and by things I mean us. If we are going to rise up and if we are going to experience the gifts that God offers us, our lives must be grounded in prayer. The old saints used to say when I was growing up, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. And you can probably guess the last one, no prayer, that's it. We need prayer in our lives. Not only do we need prayer, but we learn in this book of Ephesians that we must live lives with purpose. The author says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the hope, riches, and inheritance among the saints. Not that your lives would be easy and that all would be fun, but that your heart and your eyes would be enlightened. Now, that's not what the world teaches us we should go after. The world tells us that our purpose is to acquire money and cars, clothes, houses, have the best schools, attend the best colleges, eat the finest meals, drink the best wines. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. I personally like nice things. But sometimes in our quest for status and material good and the world's definition of success, we find ourselves consumed by the chaos of this world. Some of you may have seen Childish Gambino's most recent music video, This Is America. Many of us, the first time we watched it, we saw him dancing and boogieing in front of the kids, and the beat was catchy, and we might have found ourselves dancing along. But when we looked at it again, or maybe again and again, we saw something new each time. We saw the danger happening behind them. We saw the chaos breaking out behind them. We saw all hell going on behind them. 
And sometimes if we lose track of our purpose, we're like the people in the front of the video dancing, doing everything we can to stay distracted, not taking note of what is happening around us. But God calls us to a different purpose. God calls us to open our eyes and to be enlightened and to put our stock in hope, not in things. That is the kingdom. We are called to live on purpose. Prayer helps us find our purpose. And once we are moving into our purpose, the third thing we can have in order to rise up is to trust in God's power. The Bible says that Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father and that all things are under his feet. Now, I believe that that's difficult for some of us to really internalize. When we look around and we do take notice of the world, it seems like evil reigns. When we open up the newspaper or watch the news or check our iPhones, we see story after story of people needlessly suffering at the hands of others. We are aware that there is still lead in the water in Flint. We know the stories that black people aren't safe at Starbucks, Airbnb, a dorm lobby, Waffle House, or any place else in America. We're hearing the very real threat that immigrants who have already fled violence and destruction in their homelands now face the very real terror of being separated from their children at the border. We recognize that systems are broken when companies like Toys R Us can pay millions of dollars of severance to executives, while people who stood at the register for 30 years get nothing. Evil is real. There's trouble on every hand. But Ephesians reminds us today that what we see is not all that there is. That what we see is already overcome that Jesus sits on the throne and that all is under his feet. And when we feel discouraged and when we feel powerless against the rulers of this world, we can trust that God will triumph. I'm reminded of one of the most notable former slaves in American history. Many of you know the story of Harriet Tubman. She was perhaps the most prominent conductor on the Underground Railroad. It's estimated that she personally led at least 70 slaves to freedom and helped hundreds more get to the North on the Underground Railroad. But a lesser known fact about Harriet Tubman is that when she was 12 years old, she got between an overseer and another slave. And when the overseer hurled an iron weight at the other slave, it hit Harriet Tubman in the head. She passed out cold. And from then on, she suffered from excruciating headaches and from unpredictable fainting spells. She didn't know when, where, or for how long her next fainting spell would last. And even with that disability, Harriet Tubman decided one day that before she'd be a slave, she'd be buried in her grave, and she took her chances and made her way to freedom. But she didn't stop there. Because God had done something for her, for her she felt it was her call and her duty to do something for someone else. 
And so she went back. She went back to get her family and took them to freedom. And then she went back again and took people who weren't even her relatives and she made the trip over and over again. Now we already know that the Underground Railroad was a harrowing experience, but can you imagine being led by somebody who would faint without any notion? You didn't know how long she'd be there. You didn't know if someone would find you as you waited on this person to wake up. And for her, she risked her life. She didn't know if the people she was helping would sell her out. And I heard a preacher say once that he wondered how it was that she would have the courage and the tenacity to do such great work. And he believes that Harriet Tubman knew that because when she was conscious, she was working for God. She could trust that when she was unconscious that God was working for her. And I just want to leave you with this one thing today, Christ Church. God is working on your behalf. When you decide to rise up and to do the work that God has called you to do, you can trust that God is working it out for you. It may not be easy. You may lose a lot along the way, but God is doing work for you. And so I ask you today, will you rise up? Will you trust that God has something for you if you're willing to rise up and go after it? Andrew Day said it this way, rise up, rise like the day, rise unafraid, high like the waves, in spite of the ache. And I can tell you this, there will be entities and people who try to bring you down. You may want to quit, you may want to throw in the tile, but Isaiah said it this way, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this promise wasn't just made to people in the Old Testament. It's made to you today. So rise up, sisters and brothers. Rise into the promise that God has for you. There is glory for you waiting there. Amen.